0: Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with experimental musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Jan Novak, who is an artist, composer, and curator based in Los Angeles. There's a couple of descriptions of Jan's work that I want to read to give you a tiny insight into what he does. The first is from his own biography on his website, jonnovac.com. And that's that his work is guided by his interests in perception, context, movement, and the felt presence of direct experience. The other description of his work I like is from Richard Chartier, who said that, Jan's music sounds like the most beautiful air conditioning he had ever heard. And I love that second one. Because it relates so much to the way I hear Jan's work as well. There's this sense of air pressure. Leaking gas. Ventilation. Air pushed in circles. And sometimes with these little melodic details introduced to the whole thing like a coloured dye really subtle maybe just a single chord just sent into the center and just allowed to plume outwards his work is really beautiful but there's a socio-political vigor to the work as well which is sometimes a bit of a rare presence in music like this you know music that's sonically nuanced but also very forthright so jan was a wonderful guest and I really encourage you, that you check out his music as well. If you go to yannovak.com, that's Y-A-N-N, and then N-O-V-A-K. And as always, to find out more information about his picks, go to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash listening. Please do rate and review the podcast and tell those big podcast providers that you like it. And then hopefully I can push it out to more people. Thank you to everyone for listening. I really appreciate your support. Okay, without further delay, my conversation with Jan Novak on Crucial Listening. novak welcome to crucial listening hi thanks for having me i want to start by asking about your upcoming record which is coming out late february on touch called the future is a forward escape into the past it's a lovely title by the way <laughs> really oh thank
1: it. you <laughs> um yeah it's uh um i've been working on it for uh, Gosh, almost almost a year now most of most of 2017 was kind of devoted to working on it it's a new thing for me I'm kind of trying to, to you know I'm always trying to push my practice forward but I think this this album has uh, you know a few more you know kind of really obvious signifiers of of that attempt uh, one of which being that it has multiple tracks um, instead of being a you know one kind of 40 minute. Fun, one forty-minute piece, um, you know, and the 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 title comes from a a, a piece of uh, writing, and also the, there's a spoken word uh, by a, a author Terrence McKenna. He passed away in the the uh, early two thousands, but um, he was a kind of let me get this right. An ethnobiologist, I think is the term, <laughs> um, and, and and also a, a psychonaut. And so he was, you know, really big into the, uh, big in, in the psychedelic drug world. Uh, and he's always been this kind of touchstone for me. Uh, the piece of writing is called The Archaic Revival. And I heard a spoken word in, I think, 93 of it back in my kind of Midwest rave days. <laughs> um, and then kind of, you know, it came around uh, and kind of really became really relevant to me again, you know, with the kind of current socio-political circumstances that we're in, both in the U S and the UK right now. And, you know, many other places, um, you know, this kind of nationalist kind of you know, here in the U S it's make America great again. And the archaic revival was, was Terrence McKenna talking about how he, when a culture kind of runs its course, its initial reaction is to look back into the past and look for the last sane moment it ever had. And so his, his last sane moment was, you know, uh, the tribes on the plane of, Plains of Africa taking psychedelic mushrooms. Trump's is 1950s Jim Crow era. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> Cold War isolationism. So it's, it's, it was interesting to me to kind of see that parallel in something, you know, this text that I've held really dear, you know, versus this political movement that I find so appalling. And so it was a kind of, the, the album is about trying to kind of reconcile that how can we look back i mean even you know even the the source of the terence mckenna recording that i first heard is from 93 you know where i have nothing but you know these kind of fond inspirational memories of my you know of destroying my hearing during you know in raves but at the same time it was you know right after right after the 80s and the AIDS epidemic and everyone was kind of still terrified and this ability we have to edit out the bad parts of history especially for group you know for groups that we that we weren't directly part of you know and kind of seeing that that we can all fall into that.
0: Yeah I think I I mean I wasn't familiar with Terence McKenna previously but it was really interesting to be introduced through the lens of this new album of yours and I think what is interesting I think what you've explained there as well is the there's no intrinsic moral point to what Terence is saying I suppose is in it can look back to something quite bleak in Trump's case and essentially right. a regressive world view but right it also sounds like from reading the text that you almost utilize this as a creative drive in terms of looking back into your own work as means of finding ways to push forward I mean so
1: there's a absolutely
0: yeah so could you I don't know if there's anything in particular you can tell me about that like how that process worked
1: um yeah I mean it was it was about you know in a way it was like you know I kind of used this this Conundrum as a, as a model to to see what you know what happens. I kind of tried to play with you know with things that I had you know and there it, interestingly it was all things that I kind of became uncomfortable with that that I stopped using in my work and am now trying to explore again but so like the first one was was really simply just using distortion as an effect as a as a color to sound as a you know a way to to affect timbre um and i used that you know early on in my work and then you know kind of running a record label dragon's eye recordings i was getting all of these demos you know kind of in the you know 2009 2010 that time frame and there was so much work out there that was that was really utilizing distortion as a way to create a, a compositional structure so you know i kind of would jokingly call call them the the teardrop demos where it would just be this kind of like you know, this sound wave that, that peaks at about two thirds and then slowly, slowly recesses. And it's like all, you know, it's like not all these demos were doing it, but, but it was this kind of thing where you would, you know, it's like you turn up the overdrive or you, you know, you turn up the distortion and suddenly you have this, you know, this, you've created a composition and it just, I worried that it it had been become a crutch for me in my own work as well, so I so I stepped away from it. Um, you know, another album that I did in I think two thousand eight was called In Residence, and I was playing a lot with like synthesized bass tones to kind of create this like low end foundation to things. And again, I just you know for whatever reason at the time I became really obsessed with only using field recordings and not using anything synthesized. And so I kind of, that, that element dropped away in my work. And I guess the last one is, is working with a, a, a vocalist, which is, I, I did much, much more, um, you know, working with vocals or working with processed guitar with a, a San Francisco artist, Mark Manning, who's a, a dear friend of mine. You know, in 2009, 2010, we were doing a lot of collaborations together. Um, And that just, there was no kind of reason for not doing that, but it just kind of fell away because, you know, he and I were living farther apart. I hadn't found someone new to work with. And so I've been working with this artist, uh, Geneva Skeen. Uh, She's a good friend of mine. I just released her first album digitally on Dragon's Eye. Um, And she does a lot of, of, a lot of her work is based on her her vocals and vocal processing, and so it just felt like the right time to kind of pick pick that up again and so it's in this album it's it's fairly subtle you know and only on one track but i I really hope to maybe this year or you know in in the near future to start working with her more and kind of explore that more
0: so you mentioned as well the fact that these are elements that perhaps elicited discomfort in you or they yes. do now so was that part of the reason for wanting to explore them again to confront that discomfort? absolutely
1: yeah i i i think all of my work is about making myself uncomfortable i mean i i hate being on stage so i Perform my my favorite way of performing is doing these really long durational performances of like four or six hours, which is kind of grueling, and <laughs> um, you know, in some ways I'm I'm less the fig, the you know it it is a bit of a cover where I I don't have to be as as much of the main focus in those situations, but yeah, I mean for me even. Even my own kind of creative practice is, you know, I don't have a a daily routine in the studio. I I kind of have a kind of huge creative burst, get really self-conscious, and then stay away from the studio until the kind of anxiety of not being in the studio gets... Too deafening to stop me from doing it again. And then I kind of go in and, and play around. So it's, it's a, I think it's a, a, a weird theme in, in my life, of, <laughs> uh, you know, of, of wanting to confront the things that are uncomfortable. I mean, you know, even in this kind of setting, we kind of, you know, you asked me for three, for three record, important recordings, I, I went over it and over it, and I had, you know, three all set, and started listening to them, and thought, God, this is so, like, it'll be so easy to talk about these, it'll be so, you know, it'll be so easy to relate them to the new record, you know, but, you know, what what are we going to gain from that? What are we going to gain from talking about something that's really similar and there's a really clear, you know, connection that anyone could make. Why not pick things that are important to me because they, because they're not immediately related to my own practice. Hmm.
0: In fact, you mentioned there about your studio relationship or your relationship with the studio. One thing that you mentioned actually in an interview that we did just over a year back is the fact that you have a uh, what you called a contemplate and release methodology, where you <laughs> sort of brew an idea. Yeah. It's such a good turn of phrase. Where you brew an idea and then you. Plunge into the studio uh, and work obsessively once you're in there to see the idea through schedule permitting if you can get the time, as I understand it, with work commitments and stuff. But what did it look like this time? Is that still the process that you use ultimately?
1: It is is absolutely still the, the process. So, you know, it was a lot of. Thinking, I mean, it was a a lot of, I did a lot of reading first, then I, you know, I actually did a lot of listening to those old, older albums, which is absolutely excruciating for me. I hate listening to my own work. (laughs) Um, All all I can hear is the things I want to change. You know, it's one of those, like, I'm absolutely jealous of people that, that are not like that. You know, um, living in LA, I've become good friends with William Businski, and and Billy is all, always playing his own work. Hmm. Um, you you come over, and you know there's some gorgeous loop just kind of hovering in the <laughs> hovering in the home, and you know you're but you're there for a barbecue. It's you know, um, you know I'm like God. I I can't I can't imagine doing that. At the same time, though, there is a an element of that during the, the studio practice, you know, where I'm, I'm much less concerned with how things are made than with how they're experienced. And so a huge amount of my practice is actually just re listening. And so I'll kind of figure out the elements of a track and then let them play for hours in the studio to really get comfortable listening to them and and see how they function as a space rather than you know just a moment in a in a composition so again there's this you know there are these kind of creative bursts but there there are also these kind of long long moments where i just have to listen to things and before i've committed i can totally do that when it's when it hasn't been recorded and, and finalized, you know I can I can listen to the sounds infinitely because I can just go in and oh that's a little that one frequency is irritating me. I'm gonna turn mm. that down two dB because that day it was irritating me, and then you know the next day it wouldn't. So <laughs> so yeah,
0: listening back and then not being able to turn anything down because it's out in the world
1: and. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, the, you know, the, I mean, I love that, that it's called a release. I mean, it's a, it's a release in every sense of the words it's mm. released from your control. It's you have no control how the listener will experience it. You have no, no control of what format they'll play it back in. I mean, they can, It it is out of your hands at that point. Um, so I guess maybe it's the control freak in me that, that makes it so I can't... I, once it's released, I can't listen to it anymore. <laughs> I guess it's, it's not mine anymore. It's, uh, up until that point, it's mine, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's about making something for me, and then I release it, and it's no longer for me. It's for everyone else.
0: Mm. I think it's good if you can flip that switch. One other question I had on the new release is, going back to the album that we were discussing when we spoke last which was ornamentation yeah which was also at its core seemed to have a a written theory that centered on human culture i guess but yeah one recurrent theme in both is the fact that both theories put forward in both of these records um the new one and ornamentation is that they have a remark on body piercing and tattooing Oh yeah, and I wondered if there was a a reason that that seemed to be something that arose again or that just was something that just happened to arise in both of these- theories as a as an example of of what they're trying to illustrate
1: um well i mean i you know in in the late nineties, I was very much interested in that scene, so i'm i'm pierced and and tattooed myself mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's you know, I think at this point in my life, it's become, it, it's, an, it, it's, it's still interesting to me, but in a much different way. Because I, I don't, there's no regret, but I just don't, you know, there's no, I'm happy with where I left my tattoos. I don't, they don't feel unfinished. I'm not one to, you know, keep adding. And also it's, you know, I think you have a a bit more money in your early twenties to spend on something like that (laughs) than you do, than you do in your late thirties. Um, uh, but having them is this, you know, it's still, it's still a talking point. It's, you know, I, I haven't, I don't remember my body without them, but I still get asked, at almost every social event that there are people that I don't know, inevitably my tattoos will come up or, you know, I, you know, have kind of semi stretched ears. Um, uh, but it was also, you know, there's also a, uh, that is also a thread in, in Terrence McKenna's Archaic Revival where he, you know, he does use that as the, the kind of modern primitive scene as being this, signifier of, of culture looking back on, you know, on these more primitive times. And that was that, you know, that was kind of, that was one of my reasonings for doing it. I mean, it was, you know, when I did, when I got all of my tattoos and piercings, it was kind of between, you know, 98 and 2001, 2002. I mean, it was, a this kind of direct relationship to to kind of aging out of the rave scene, but still still being part of this community. And I think there was a very kind of tribal nature in the in the U.S. rave scene. Of you know, it was a kind of tribal nature where everyone kind of had their you know, oh that group of people likes jungle. This this group likes trance. These you know, everyone from Detroit likes techno, you know, Chicago is house music. I mean, it's, it was, uh, it was a very interesting, very interesting time. And I think the, you know, one of the only time in my life that it felt that the, that culture felt like my own.
0: And so it's a means of representing your allegiance then, I guess, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, we could, you know, like one of the albums is, is, uh, that I picked is Dimension Intru- Intrusion by Fuse, which is this, you know, kind of minimal techno piece by Richie Houghton, who's one of the, you know, big, big heads of, of minimal techno. And that, that was an abs, my, you know, minimalist <laughs> line work tattoos were a, a direct response to, you know, hearing that work for the first time. and and understanding or getting a glimpse into minimalism at age 14 when that came out.
0: Well, let's get into talking about the records, Jan. Okay. One question that I want to start with is to ask about your process for picking them. It sounded like when you emailed me that there were, and in fact you did mention just earlier that there were two potential strands you could have gone for um yeah but you've pretty much answered the question but i'm intrigued as to the the methodology by which i don't know if that's the right word but by which you considered the term important with relation to the music you picked
1: i mean i have i'm i think of myself as more of a a, more of a dabbler and uh in some ways a dabbler and in some ways a uh a bit obsessive where I'm not an expert on any genre, but there are a lot of genres that I dip my toes into. And when I find something I like, I go deep into it, you know, but it will more so be an artist rather than a genre. Um, I think partially maybe because of time and, and money, but I I like, you know, if I find a record I like, I will listen to it over and over and over again, and I will forget everything else. I will miss, you know, the, you know, I'll miss 10 records because I didn't want to hear anything <laughs> else, you know, the new things that came out. So I'm always, I'm always playing catch up. So for this, both trajectories, I went, you know, I kind of grabbed things from different times in my life. I found that, to be a kind of an interesting way of dividing things up. Cause there was no way I was going to get something of every genre I like in there. So I thought, okay, well, if I, you know, think of like, before I was born, you know, my, you know, my formative years and now <laughs> that, that was kind of a, you know, that was a, a, a nice structure for, for whittling it down and yeah, I had a whole list of things that were like kind of sonically relevant to the, the record, you know, I had, had that Terrence McKenna spoken word on there, you know, but it was all very, it was, it was fairly not obvious, but it just, it, it didn't feel like it was going to be as generative as if I kind of pushed out a little, a little farther. Um, And so I, you know, the three that I chose, you know, one is, is this Alan Capro kind of spoken word piece, which is, uh, I don't even, I don't even remember where I heard it for the first time. And It's one of those things that I keep, I always forget about until I see someone and use it in a lecture or so it, you know, I've, I've heard it. You know many times, but it, it, I saw a lecture recently where they brought it up and played part of it, and kind of that sparked my interest in that. The fuse record was is obviously kind of formative years, and then the the third is you know kind of something that that caught my interest recently. So,
0: well, it sounds like we've got a chronology with which to go through this, or although yeah. given the kind of you know, looking back to look forward that's reflected in your current album i don't know which way you want to go into this and which you want to bring <laughs> up first but I'll, I'll leave it with you i mean which album would you like to to talk about first Jan, and if you could give us the name of it and also a little bit about why it's important to you as well
1: okay um well i, I think i thought of them as as going going from earliest to to now so let's start with uh this LP, which I unfortunately don't have uh, by Alan Capro uh, called How to Make a Happening. And it's really side side one that is the, the kind of crowning jewel for me. And it's uh, it's the 11 rules on how to make a happening. And I mean, Capro is is a is an artist that I I know of through the work of Steve Roden. So I don't, I, he's, he's a hugely important figure in the, the, you know, kind of fine art world, but I don't have a fine art education. So I have kind of these kind of backwards sideways ways of, of discovering these things. So this, this came from not this album, but, but the artist came, came through Steve Roden every time I listen to it, I find it extremely exciting because happenings were about, about not being everything else. Um, It was kind of so radical and so hard to define. Um, You know, I think I forget if it's the, the first or second rule, but it's like, you know, he just lists off every other art form, saying, "Don't make music, don't make paintings, <laughs> don't." You, you know, so you kind of your first your first direction is to not do anything that you know to do or that you've tried to do in the past. Um, which to me is just such an exciting, an exciting prompt. It's also exciting to me because I feel like especially nowadays things are so, things are so boxed in things are so, you know, genre specific and there's no kind of, there's no crossing boundaries anymore. I mean, there is, but, but not like, you know, to me, it doesn't feel like, you know, like happening. Mm. Uh, You know, so for instance, I love, you know, that that always comes to mind when, for instance, when, when people kind of argue over, you know, electronic music performance, like, oh, that person's using gear, that person's using a laptop. There are a million articles about, you know, a heated debate over the, the pros and cons of these things. And I'm like, it's, it's one dude sitting at a desk fiddling with something or a different guy fiddling with some other stuff. Like in the grand scheme of performance, like that it's such a, you know, it's such a finite detail, Um, you know? And so to, to, you know, for Capro in the late sixties, early seventies to be saying, don't do any of that. And don't try and mix any of that because that's just what opera and disco is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. It's mindset. just, you know, is so, you know it it feels it feels like the 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 push so many people need right now. And so I always kind of use that as a touchstone whenever I'm kind of whenever I'm trying to challenge myself because that's what I always want to do is is challenge myself. Is to ha- how to how to not be like every you know all the other things. But I also like that he it, it it is about not being like. It's not about the quest to to do the next exciting thing. You know, it's not like the. The quest to to be more experimental either it's it's this kind of other pursuit of of a kind of this genuine want to to create something new
0: i've never heard of Capra or this idea of this piece i mean it was quite fun trying to get my head around exactly <laughs> what he was talking about because I think what's so wonderful about this is that it's I guess it seems like it's part an instruction, but also part some sort of piece of poetic
1: material yeah. where it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's specific. side A is, is, the instructions and side B is, I think he's reading, reading the, the performative instructions from, from some of his, some of his early works, hmm. um, which are, are extremely poetic.
0: Because there's that point where he points out what people assume are happening is and actually what might miss the mark, which then turns out to be as detailed or even more detailed than his description of
1: (laughs) what exactly he's talking
0: about. There's this like, seems to be this really wonderful relationship between the margins of what he's doing and where it runs through them and where it doesn't and yeah, it's great. There's also what really surprised me is how directly he points the finger as well. At <laughs> certain groups, and as you say, opera and disco, but also um, traditional art. And he has a oh, yeah, real absolutely. go at smart people <laughs> at a certain point.
1: Yeah, I mean, and to me that's, you know, I could actually loop back to Terence McKenna there, where Terence McKenna is, you know, also kind of you know, one of the things I love about some of his, his writing is he talks about how none of us should participate in culture at all. Uh, so he talks about reject, you know, don't, don't read books, don't watch TV. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't read magazines and, you know, in Terrence McKenna's eyes, it's, it's a, he talks about, uh, the moment you're, you're, you're paying attention to, to, mass-produced culture you you've become disenfranchised from your your own experience because you're worrying about someone else's experience and so terence mckenna talks about that you know in a sense we should all become the makers again that that cultural production isn't, you know, shouldn't be relegated to to the elites that are able to afford art school, but it should, you know, everyone should make music, everyone should, you know, paint paintings, not, it it should be reclaimed as a, you know, cultural production should be reclaimed by everyone.
0: Yeah, I didn't really strike upon that until second time round that there's almost quite an activist bent to this and that there was almost a sense that if you are making work that is inspired or directly following in the lineage of an artist that's come before you that there's a almost a subservience to those ideas that you're... Mm -hmm imbued with the authority of what that person's you know the rules of the game that they're putting for you and I I, that really only struck me second time round when I was like oh wait it sounds like he's kind of saying no go and go and do, do your own thing and 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 flip it over which was really nice
1: yeah exactly do you feel
0: the imprint of any of this I mean this is probably too nebulous But the imprint of this in any of what you do Or your own work or Um
1: Gosh I I would like to I you know I I don't know that I've I don't know that I've succeeded I certainly haven't made made it Happening you know but I I don't I haven't ruled it out either You know I think that the, the spirit of it is something I'm really interested in, which I think is, is uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense what it is, it's a, it, about creating experience rather than, you know, it's not, you know, I don't think about, oh, I've created a record, I've created an installation. It's like my, my end goal is always thinking about, the the relationship between the the work and the audience member or the viewer or listener and what is created in between you know what is created in that interaction and so I think that that would be the kind of you know where where happenings kind of relate to my work is that yeah, just this kind of, this focus on, on what's happening rather than, you know, rather than like, oh, here's this video piece, you know, that you're instructed to watch because it's in a gallery. I, I'm more interested in like, what, what is that experience for the audience member?
0: That's a really nice answer to what was a really horribly broad <laughs> question, so
2: thank you. <laughs> sure thing. This is a lecture on how to make a happening. There are 11 rules of the game. One, forget all the standard art forms. Don't paint pictures, don't make poetry, don't build architecture, don't arrange dances, don't write plays, don't compose music, don't make movies. And above all, don't think you'll get a happening out of putting all these together this idea is nothing more than what operas always did and you see it today in the far out types of discotheques with their flashing lights and film projections the point is to make something new something that doesn't even remotely remind you of culture you've got to be pretty ruthless about this wiping out of your plans every echo of this or that story or jazz piece or painting that i can promise you will keep coming up unconsciously
0: let's talk about your second album if you'd like to introduce the name of it and also a little bit, or an elaboration, I guess, on why it's important to you, as you hinted to it Sure. Sure.
1: Um, so this is it's uh, Fuse. This is the, the artist, uh, and the album is Dimension Intrusion. Fuse is a, a moniker of Richie Houghton. Um, this album came out about six months before... Uh, he put out his first Plastic Man record, Sheet One, in 1993. Um, so I was 14. Probably, that was probably the first year I was allowed to t- or able to sneak out to get to raves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sheet One was the thing that I saw in a store. I picked it up, and and you know was was kind of initially changed by I heard. Uh, dimension intrusion. Later, you know, probably a year later, at a friend's house, who for some reason had set up a tent in their living room. Um, so we were, you know, sitting in a in a tent in a living room, probably smoking and listening to this album. <laughs> and uh, it it was, I mean, there there are moments of of kind of ambient. Ambient or ambient-adjacent work on the Plastic Man sheet one, and it's, you know, it's very subdued for dance music. But Dimension Intrusion was the first time where there were actual kind of beatless or near-beatless moments for me on the same, immediately, were immediately after, you know, some of the tracks that were kind of absolute rave staples. So the fifth track to uh, substance abuse was probably played at every rave I went to for, you know, a good five years. Wow. I mean, some, some DJ would play that track. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely ubiquitous in, in the Midwest rave scene, you know, but then to go, to I'm just gonna spell it because I don't know how how if I'm supposed to pronounce it. You know, a couple tracks later, T H E Y C H X. I knew it was gonna be that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than vocal samples, you know, it, it almost stays the same for a good nine minutes, and then kind of morphs for the last four, um, but keeps the same kind of tempo. Melody, it it just is this really spare, repetitive, minimal track that I just think is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I'm a big one for you know I guess, and this is why this you know why I picked this record is that I think of you know to me it's about when when each of us experiences something. Um, and I think it's it's something that's got that's been lost in the kind of age of social media and, and the digital age where it it often feels like we're no longer allowed to discover things on our own time, Mm. you know? And to me, it's like there, there is decades of minimalist, repetitive work that is far more minimal, far more repetitive (laughs) than this track. But this was my first experience with something like that. And so to me, that's, you know, there are other things that that could prove that point more in an academic setting, but it's not the order that I experienced them. you know, and it's, you know, it's kind of similar. I I see people that like find out a celebrity died a year, a year after it happened and a bunch of people pounce on them to on social media when they, you know, when they express their grief late. (laughs) yeah you know and it's like their their grief is absolutely still valid in their experience because they just found out about it but you know the, the the digital world has created this this space where we where if you don't if you don't do it at the right time you know it's it's somehow it's somehow not valid so that's that's you know the Dimension intrusion was actually on both of my lists. It was the one thing that like it is you know, it was such a formative thing for me to experience. I mean the the track Night Drive, I think is, you know, that's the the truly, you know, totally beatless ambient track. I think UVA is is so weird and you know, there's still twenty years later there's a you know, one rhythmic elements that drives me nuts, but it it, it seems so out of place, but I still love the track in the early, in the early nineties as well. We did have, you know, there always were kind of chill rooms, which I would inevitably end up in riding out something that was a little too strong. Um, (laughs) So that, you know, I was always experiencing, you know, kind of ambient work in that way. But uh, th- this was the first record I owned that that had, it gave me the entrance point of substance abuse. Like it gave me these dance tracks and it, it and it introduced me to this other thing and dance track wise. I mean, I think that the kind of slack and man tricks, I think are just the slickest songs still, even though they sound dated now. Um, I don't know, there's something about the kind of sequencing that is just really elegant and well, you know, kind of just so well done.
0: Is Slack the one that has just that recurrent synth loop, but the drums kind of drop in and out and change? I think it was like track three or
1: something? Yes. Yeah. And it, there's a lot of like reversing of things and yeah, yeah it just... Yeah, it's it's just really complex and really, uh, really nice. And th- interestingly, this was like this. I think was the this this was part of uh, Warp's artificial intelligence series. Um, you know, it sits along Polygon Window, Autecker. It was also part of that series. And interestingly, his. Uh, brother matthew houghton uh is a painter and the the cover art for the album is a painting by his brother which mm-hmm. also you know is this kind of for me a, a really wonderful tie-in of this you know of the visual art world and this you know kind of connection there
0: yeah this was a really nice one to discover for me i had not heard this one before but i've given it both headphone listens and car listens yeah it feels like a good car record for sure
1: oh definitely yeah yeah i i listened to it many a times at like 6 a.m as the sun came up <laughs> Yeah, driving down midwest country roads back from some farm or warehouse in the middle of nowhere
0: do you still have those experiences that have such a intimate tie to location and specific memory I get when I say, do you still have, that seems ridiculous because, you know, they only solidify into memories after a while. But I mean, is there, is that something that still occurs? Because this record landed at a formative time, I'm wondering whether they're more solid in thought or whether you have those experiences elsewhere.
1: It it doesn't always happen, but, but it certainly does. Things absolutely kind of coalesce and, it's they can bring me back to these moments very easily. I don't have to think of that, but if, if I allow it to happen, it will happen. I mean we get a good uh a good segue here to the next record is earlier it's not the record I picked but uh beginning of 2007 we had uh Lawrence English was here in LA and we helped organize a a field recording workshop that he did where we me, my partner Robert Crouch a couple of our friends and then 10 field recordists drove to this uh, tiny desert desert area called uh, Zyzix, which is ZZYZX which is on the way, about two thirds of the way to Vegas from from Los Angeles and it's a a desert hot spring is it a hot spring? it's a Desert Spring, uh, that was this weird, weird kind of holistic Christian guy started it. Um, but now it's a desert research center. And So we were all there. Uh, we spent the night there doing field recordings. And it was this, the day was just this massive day. And, and for some reason, I was particularly tired that day. Uh, it was about nine o'clock. Lawrence was like kind of lecturing about stuff before everyone headed out for another, you know, another big walk to do field recordings. And I was just like nearly dead. I was, I was about to pass out. I just said, look, everyone, I can't, I can't do this. I'm just going to go back to my bunk and, and crash. And um, in the last couple of years, I've, I've developed tr- fairly bad tinnitus in one year. And so the, especially doing field recordings and being out in the desert where it was so quiet. It was, that was also kind of really kicking my butt. And so I just put on headphones with something rhythmic because for, for me, rhythmic things help with the tinnitus more. And so I, I put on uh, the, the first record by the weekend house of balloons. And cause that was what was on my phone and just with earbuds and like laid in this like boiling hot, bunk and kind of experience the whole record until I passed out and every time I listen to that record I can I can suddenly be back in that bunk. Wow. Listening to it that 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 time through and kind of you know we'll start to notice the things I noticed about it that time through. That's amazing <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a long long meandering story but i finally got to the point no it was great (laughs) i I mean
0: i love hearing about these things um i think for the reason i asked that question is for me it seems like something that i'm maybe having less and less experiences with where location wraps itself around a particular album and so it's something that i'm intrigued to check in with with other people like is this just me? yeah totally so you know maybe it's just me but um if
1: i think i think i think as we get older they i think it they do become it does become more sparse mm. um but i think also the the way we listen is changing and i think that's one of the dangerous things mm. you know that that's the scary Is like I would listened to that record many times before house of balloons, but I'd never listened to it only listening to it. Yeah. You know, eyes closed, lying on a bed, uncomfortable with heat. I mean, it was, it you know, it was, it was this thing that could kind of transport me out of the, out of my body's exhaustion and, and the heat. Um, but also it was like, that's, you know, I was happily only paying attention to that. Um, and I think, I mean, I just, I don't get, I don't get those chances that much anymore, mm. you know, to just like, to just stop paying attention to my surroundings and just listen to a record. But, you know, I, I didn't forget about them, but yeah, it was just, it was a different way of engaging with, with music and with sound that I, would love to get to do more, but, you know, we just don't have time anymore.
0: It is scary to me, the fact that more and more, these playlists that appear on streaming services are music to blank to, and it's this accessorizing. Oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's this kind of extension of of lifestyle marketing of its... Mm you know and you know to me the i i don't i don't listen to things like that and the, you know this is i've always been like this and i think it it again came from from my kind of rave days where i would you know i mean it was also kind of hard to to pick to mention intrusion cuz they're like 20 mixtapes I could have chosen that I, you know, I now have digitally because um, there are all these archives online that I still listen to that kind of, you know, when I'm feeling nostalgic that, that could have made it to the list. But, you know, they were all, you know, it was like, I like side A or I like side A and side B. It wasn't like, oh, I like this song on this on this mix. It was like, I like this entire mix. And so for mm. me, you know, listening to records, I, I listen to a record all the way through. And as long as there isn't a track that I really hate, I will always listen to it all the way through. It's, I'm, ne- I'm never interested in just like, Oh, I just want to hear this song. Like I'm not a cherry picker. I don't, I want to hear the, the thing in its entirety. And so, I think that's the other thing that's kind of lost in in the kind of streaming world where it's just this kind of array of different artists different tracks totally out of order totally out of context it's just you know it's just not the same to me
0: no and you mentioned about unless it's a really bad track you won't skip it and that's oh yeah absolutely that's a question that doesn't really arise i guess in these formats which is there's a continuity to be broken there and it needs to be worth it. Like this track needs to be really irritating because there's an intentional fluidity that even if this track is terrible, it's it's a a thread that uh, I yes. need to travel across, you know, to get to the next bit. But um, obviously that's just, you know, take it out the playlist.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Scary. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you'd like to tell us the name of your final album and why you, why it's important as well
1: yeah well i think it's a it's perfect timing so the 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 last one is is the weekend uh echo of silence the weekend now is a you know kind of huge huge pop star when this house of balloons was the first of three mixtapes he released in 2011 no one you know no one knew who he was he just released them on YouTube and you know, they got all this kind of critical attention and he blew up from there. I had a number of different entry points. I have a friend that's really into, uh, in New York that's really into hip hop and R and B. And he told me to listen to these things in 2011 and I didn't. And it took me until, you know, I think 2015 to start listening to, to, to them and realize what I had been missing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but going back to this, like talking about s- skipping things or, you know, listening to things as a whole, like what I find really interesting about The weekend as an artist is, is the trilogy. And then each record afterwards, uh, he takes on a persona and cr- all of the kind of lyrics and, you know, there's a, a story told over the, the course of the, the album And there's a, uh, it's a persona that's not necessarily him. So he, you know, it's it's almost like acting where he is taking on a character and and exploring, potentially exploring his own, his own demons or dark side, but, but through the, through inhabiting a, a character in a way. And I can you know I can absolutely say that, that Echo of Silence has tracks that I'm totally like not into, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know it. But within the context, they're necessary, and I understand how they're progressing the album, how they're you know potentially setting up the next track. I the there's the track four is EXO slash the host, which I am not sonically not that excited about, but it is the setup for the story in initiation, which is track five, which I find kind of this glorious production. um, So absolutely dark and awful. It's a, it's a dark, awful place, but how they use sound and, lyrics to create that space is so well done that I think it warrants so many listens. Mm. Um, You know, I'm also you know, my kind of entry point into this, my other entry point was that my my mother was a huge Michael Jackson fan in the 80s and 90s. And so I grew up with, you know, other, other than you know, 60s folk and blues or classical music the only kind of real current artist that was playing in my parents house was was michael jackson and so this starts with a michael jackson cover um but even the the other the weekend's voice is is absolutely reminiscent of michael jackson so there's you know there's no no denying that connection you know then this album starts with a with a dirty diana cover so
0: yeah i had to quickly check who was singing it i used to be a fan of michael jackson when i was very young and yeah. still intermittently listened but clearly not enough to distinguish immediately <laughs> but it's a really uh, good emulation emulation of um, of his voice but it's, yeah it's an incredible performance
1: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I actually listen back now, and kind of, I actually will, you know, I've, I've listened to them side by side, and kind of thought, wow, the, you know, the weekend kind of added this grit to the song that it really needed. It is such a kind of sad, dark song, especially for Michael Jackson. That mm. you know, that extra kind of like pounding of the drums that he that is added here is just. You know, is really welcomed, but I also think that the weekend, the weekend does amazing, amazing covers that are that that really are homages to those artists. So you know, I was kind of it was kind of it was hard for me to 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 choose between House of Balloons and Echo of Silence, and I went with Echo of Silence because it's a little. It hasn't been talked about or written about as much as House of Balloons, but House of Balloons, the third track, is him covering, uh, Susie and the Banshees' Happy House, and it is like, wow, it's it, it you know it is a, you listen to it and again if you listen to him side by side it, it is this real like it truly feels like an homage like you can really tell that he that he likes the track. That, that there is, you out, know, that there is an absolute appreciation for it. And that is why he is why he's incorporating it into his world.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to dig that out. I haven't heard that record yet. But you mentioned as well the rhythm work. What do you think of the rhythm work on this record? I mean, I, there's some amazing stuff on here. That first track I thought was... It's yeah. so strong, like so so forceful and right on the edge of someone physically slamming the drums and someone <laughs> programming yeah, them totally. so almost like someone hitting them so hard as to sort of render velocity irrelevant. Yeah, definitely. Just all, all really hard hits. But yeah, what what do you think of the rhythm work on the on the album?
1: I mean I think I think it's really great, but I think I think what the for me the the truly interesting thing is how how the lyrical work is part of the rhythm is part of the you know they, they have a, a symbiosis hmm. so I think that that the track that I always talk about which I've already talked about is, is initiation track five where he the producer is pitching his his lyrics up and down oh, yeah. And it's, you know, but it always is still staying in rhythm, you know, the, you know, even though it's suddenly gotten really high and faster, it still hits on all the right moments. Um, You know, the, the song is about partying all night and it's really mistreating one another. It's, it's super, super dark and super depressing, but like that kind of like, even the, the kind of how debilitating it is to hear his voice being pitched up and down and suddenly getting really low and slow and then those are the kind of the the moments that I find really really exciting about the the production and the the rhythm in in relation to him as a vocalist.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned that. I mean, I saw an interview in the Guardian earlier where he talked about how he used to take a lot of drugs to help himself stay up all night and compose sleeplessly. Yeah. It certainly feels like that this is riddled with sounds of someone perhaps hallucinating in a <laughs> state of insomnia,
1: yeah. you know, I mean. Oh yeah, totally. Well, well, there's, I mean, there, you know, it's, it's, it's speaks to, you know, some of the darker moments that I have that I've had in my life, but it's like the, you know, the lyric in that song that I find both dark uh, you know, dark, but also like, I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to admit that I know what you're talking about, but I do. Is that he, you know, he talks about the, he says something about there being an, you don't have to wait, there's enough to pass around, but then he says you don't have to, like something about, I think there are no clocks, you don't have to check the time, oh, yeah. the, the blinds don't work, you don't have to check the sky. And to me, that was like, you know, not checking the blinds or the blinds don't work. So you can't check the sky Is such. a To me, this like very dark thing where, you know, going back to rave days, like it was always like, Oh, the party's over because the sun is coming up. It was always, you know, using not having a watch. So you would use the, the color of the sky to, to reorient yourself. And so the, you know, that kind of spoke to this like never ending party where, you know, you, there's there's never going to be a moment to reorient yourself you know or or come back to to reality and um yeah it is super dark
0: yeah one other question i had on this was the fact that and it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier i think with the The visibility of albums now, and the fact they get strewn across playlists and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a the fact that these three first releases are referred to as mix mix mixtapes, and I I wonder. I mean, for me, that it almost there's almost a sense that if something's a mixtape, then there's an extra remark on its intention to be played as one continuous thing. I guess because it harks back to times where you know mixtapes were just. One spool and and uh, and it was just basically one continuous listening experience i mean i don 't know if that's something uh, you know I, I i don't fully understand like the distinction that's being made with albums and mixtapes and it's something i've seen but I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that
1: i mean to me that that your read is this is the same read i have i I will be the first to admit that i don't I am not deep enough into the kind of hip hop and R and B world, which is where I think that terminology is most prevalent Mm. to, to fully understand the, the reasoning for using that terminology. But for me, that's, you know, that's part of it is that I think also that, that generally the quote unquote mixtape is something that is self-released Right. I think yeah. I think that's another big part of it is so that, you know, all all three of these the pieces that are now House of Balloons, Thursday, and Echo Silence are you know are all part of We're all self-released just on YouTube. And actually the commercial versions I find totally unlistenable because they were all kind of remixed and remastered. So for instance, I knew I was eventually going to, you know, I made a note when I told you to, you know, <laughs> listen to listen to this version and it's because like if you listen to the the version of initiation on Spotify, the the pitch shifting is not done as well. It's not as smooth. Oh wow. It's it's I think it's probably technically done better, but there there's this like Smoothness to it on the mixtape version that is lost in in the the newer version. The f- the first track on House of Balloons uh, is high for this, and like that track has these great, you know, just certain things are are higher, lower in the mix, and it just like it totally changes it. Um, and I, I, you know, it's like you listening to them side by side you can uh, i understand the logic behind it but he, you know i think he was friends with drake you know they're all from toronto which i also think is totally funny that this is all canadian based um i don't know why it just it just cracks me up for some reason um but uh you know so i know there's you know money behind these initial productions but nothing like the money that was behind them for the re-releases and so i think there is something there there's still something kind of homespun and honest you know and knowing that that there wasn't a kind of major label money machine behind them to, to make such kind of well-constructed pop music as, a, you know, in a sense as an indie artist is also kind of fascinating to me.
0: Mm.
1: Like I don't have that drive, but it's, you know, it, it makes you realize that like, oh yeah, most pop stars probably did have like, you know, have bad <laughs> demos or, you know, it's, just, it's, you know, it's just, this thing, you know, this, Circumstance that we that we kind of forget about or, or never even think about because we're like ah blah pop pop music is terrible and you know we just kind of the impulse in the in experimental world is to just write off all pop music and so yeah I, I find seeing seeing pop music roots is is fascinating. You've been going hard, baby Now you're rolling with some big boys, baby Got a love you wanna show off, baby do that want for you? Take your fucking clothes off, baby Don't move my the I thought am all I do is leave I've been for a week and this room to to this so in that floor, in
0: the That was something that I brought up With a friend of mine just today um, I felt like a bunch of albums That I'd listened to recently By artists that I enjoy Had sort of almost transited into a more I guess immediate and kind of glossy Mm -hmm. pop sound um, which makes it easier to go oh okay I like this pop music because it's got the legitimacy of an artist who's been in the rough of music before but it's I mean it's a ridiculous perspective to to have um, yeah it's one that I'm kind of overturning every day in my mind you know about how I perceive the legitimacy of of pop music, sonically, yeah. you know. I mean, there's a lot of writing about it that make more cultural remarks on or, or place pop music within a topography of other pop music and justify it through that means. But mm-hmm. I think musically, there's so much <laughs> to
1: to yeah. go into as well. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, for me, I think the the real breaking point was the. And I think you and I talked about this in our last interview was the Solange album. Yeah. You know, and to me that was like, cause I've, I've pretty much vehemently written off Beyonce, you know, and to have her sister kind of school me like that was, <laughs> you know, really made me have to rethink some things. So, you know, I mean that I, you know, that was, you know, I think that, that record is still just spectacular. And I've even gone and, and there's a record by Sampha who does the backing vocals on, I can't remember the, 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 I think don't touch my hair. Um, You know, he has a a solo album out now that is, you know, kind of, it's right in between the indie sphere and the, the pop music sphere, but it's totally brilliant.
0: Yeah, there's quite a few people involved in that Solange record that... In fact, Hannah Huckelberg came on this podcast and spoke about Moses Sumney and Kelala as well, who both mm-hmm. featured, and both have released amazing records this year as well. Yeah, totally. The Solange is leading the way for the both of us, it seems. Have, yeah, totally. <laughs> have you uh, revisited Beyoncé in light of Enjoying Solange now?
1: I have not. I, <laughs> I keep. I keep feeling like I really need to like watch the whole like epic lemonade thing, but I, <laughs> you know, i I'm, I it's one of those. It's like weirdly, I I still. And this is, you know, this is now becoming, like, a real issue for me. Um, but I still have a terrible time bootlegging things. And I also, you know, it's like it's also not something I necessarily want to pay for the first time out. So it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's like I I've, these days I actually miss out on things because of my reluctance to just steal them like so many others would uh, but yeah with you know with all of my references to drugs in the last hour why bootlegging something is like my drawing the line uh, who knows but that's that's my line in the sand apparently
0: well on that note, Jan, it's been, <laughs> it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for...
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.
0: And if people want to hear your music, where should they go online? I
1: think uh, JanNovak.com is the best place to start. You can kind of get all of my different social media accounts, Vimeo and SoundCloud from there. Um, but there's also a lot, of, a lot of text to give things context, if that's what you want.
0: Great. Well, thanks once again. And to everyone listening, I will see you next time.